Let me read Psalm 132. O Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. He swore on oath to the Lord and made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will not allow sleep to my eyes nor slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard it in Ephrathah. We came upon it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then your sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions Her poor will I satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints will ever sing for joy. Here I will make a horn grow for David. I will set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown on his head will be resplendent. The wife comes out of the kitchen There's the husband staring at the computer. She says to him, you never tell me anymore that you love me. And the husband, without looking up from the computer, says, I told you I loved you a long time ago, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) I'm not recommending that. Relationships require reassurances. Relationships require reassurance. Part of what makes relationships work are regular reassurances that we're still together, we're still for each other, we we still love each other, we're still committed to each other. Relationships need those meaningful uh, assurances. Um, They're like... They're like the oil in a machine, you know, in an engine that keeps the engine lubricated and running well. Those reassurances just help things move more smoothly in a relationship. Um, My wife and I last week celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary. We went up to Acadia. We went down to the Cape. It was really cool. But one of the things uh, I did for our anniversary was I just wrote a letter to her, and I said, hey, these are things I still love about you. This is, you know, I'm still crazy about you for these reasons. I'm still committed to you. Um, that's one of the things you want to do on an anniversary. I've learned over the years that it's important <laughs> to keep reassuring your spouse. I still feel this way. It's important. Um, uh, you, you know, uh, in empl- employers, employees need to reassure each other of the relationship they have with each other. Um, you know, employees want to hear from the boss that they still like their work and that they're happy they're working there. That helps people work well. Uh, children are sometimes disciplined. 
And so maybe a, a young child gets a spanking or an older child gets a lecture, right? But after the lecture or after the spanking, it's important in good disciplining to fairly soon after that follow up with reassurance. I still love you. I'm still really proud of you. I'm really glad you're, you're my child. You know, I'm not mad at you. I just We had to work through this thing because we need that. This side of heaven, in this sinful and broken world, reassurances are an important part of relationships. And it, so it is in our relationship with God. We need reassurance from Him. Our faith is still growing. It's not perfect yet. Our trust in God is not what it should be. Ideally, I should just believe, and and I should never have questions and doubts. But the fact is, we do have questions and doubts, and we need reassurances from God that He's still there. Because sometimes we doubt, are you still there? Are you still for me? Are you still ruling over my life? God, is your hand still upon me? Psalm 132 is a a corporate prayer of the Israelites to God. In a sense, if you boil it down, they're asking for reassurance. They're coming before God and they're saying, God, are you still there? Do you still reside among us here in Jerusalem? Are you still for us? And and are you still ruling over us through your king? In In their case, it was one of the descendants of King David. God, are you still here? And when you think about it that way, This is a really uh, relevant psalm to our lives because this is a prayer that we pray as Christians. God, are you still there? God, are you still for me? Are you still with me? Are you still with us? And I say that and really kind of harp on that theme because Psalm 132 is a complex psalm. I don't know, as I was reading it, were you tracking it or were you kind of like, what? You're a little bit lost it's a, little, it's a little hard to follow. I had a hard time following it. This is a psalm that really I struggled with understanding what it was saying and why. Um, and, and so I hope, you, I hope you brought your thinking caps this morning. I'm, I'm trusting you all had good 10 hours of sleep last night. This is going to help us. So I'm going to try to break this psalm down. But if you get lost, or if you're kind of like, what, I missed that part, don't worry about it, okay? Remember the big picture. This is a psalm of reassurance. It's people asking God, are you still there? Do you still love us? Are you still ruling over us? Do you still want to bless us? God, we need reassurance. So if you look at the psalm, I'll try to just break it down a little bit for you, give you the big picture. It, there's two halves to the psalm. It, it falls into really two very clear parts. Verses 1 through 10 is the prayer for reassurance that the Israelites are praying to the Lord. Verses 11 to 18 is God's answer to their prayer. So that's how the psalm is. It's, it really does fall into two equal parts. The Israelites in verses 1 to 10 are praying. In verses 11 to 18, God is answering. And as we'll see, I'll, we'll get into that in a minute, but the answers that God gives are very closely parallel the way that the Israelites ask. So the Israelites ask in a certain way, and then God's answer follows it in a certain way. So there actually is a very intricate structure here where even the same words from verses 1 to 10 are used in verses 11 to 18. And I'll try to point that out, and I think that'll make the psalm make more sense. Um, but, but again, what's the point of it? It's God. We need reassurance. The prayer for reassurance really comes in verses 8 to 10. Look there closely. Arise, O Lord, come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. God, be with us. Arise, come here to the ark. 
Verse 9, for blessing. May your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. Lord, we want you to to clothe us and bless, bless us. Verse 10, for God's rule through the king. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. The anointed one, of course, was the king. Uh, The Hebrew word for anointed one is Mashiach, from which we get our word Messiah. That's what Messiah means, is anointed anointed one, the anointed king. So there it is. God be with us. God bless us. God rule over us. So if you can just imagine this, I I try to imagine these things. I try to film a movie in my head sometimes when I read psalms like this. But I imagine all these Israelites, they're there in Jerusalem. It's one of the, the festivals, the three festivals where all the Israelites were supposed to travel to Jerusalem, and they're standing there, pressed in like a big crowd around the temple courts. They're there with their sacrifices and their offerings for God, and they're, and they're praying this psalm, and they're all standing there, and there in front of them is the temple, and inside the temple is the ark. You guys know the ark. You've seen Indiana Jones. You, you know the, the box, the golden box where Moses put the Ten Commandments. That, that golden box, the ark of God, was seen by the Israelites as the footstool of God's throne. So it was as if God was reigning in heaven, but his feet came down and he reigned over the ark so that the ark was the, the symbol of God's presence. It wasn't an idol. It wasn't a, a representation of God, but it was like his footstool, you know, the thing he put his feet on as he reigned on his throne. So it symbolized God is with us. So here's the Israelites standing in front of the temple, knowing the ark is inside the temple, and they're praying, God, come here to your ark. God, bless us. Here's the priests in the temple. Clothe them with righteousness. Here's the people. Fill us with joy. Lord, do good for us so that we might be filled with joy. And Lord, here's the king. Don't forsake him. We need you to rule over us through your king. And and so they're they're reenacting this in a way and, and reliving it. In fact, the reenactment goes further. Let me show you a little bit more. This is where it kind of gets a little bit um, nitty-gritty historical, but if you bear with me, I think it's pretty cool. Look at verses 1 through 5. So, this, so, so verses 8 through 10 is the actual request for reassurance of God's presence and blessing. But verses 1 to 5 is where it starts. And, and they start not by saying, hey, we need you today, but they're reminding God of many years ago in verses 1 to 5. So verses 1 to 5 is like going back into the past, to a time where King David first brought the ark of God to Jerusalem. And, and what they're praying is, and this is where you have to kind of follow this, they're saying, hey God, remember David? He was awesome. He brought the ark to Jerusalem. And, and you loved him. Well, we're with him. And so keep blessing us like you did David because we, we stand with David. We, we, we are with him in this. So that's how it starts. So look at verses 1 to 5. O Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured? He was your faithful guy, even through all the thick and thin. He swore on oath to the Lord and made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will not allow sleep to my eyes nor slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. So they're remembering back to a time when King David, who was the first one to bring the ark to Jerusalem. So David conquers Jerusalem. He says, this is my capital city. And then David says, but I'm not going to rest until I get the ark of God to the capital city. And that's where it's going to be. And so there's this story of David bringing the ark there. In fact, I want to show you the story, and, and you'll see why in a little bit. But put a bookmark here in Psalm 132, a pencil, 
you know, pluck a hair from the person next to you, put it in Psalm 132, whatever you need to do, and turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. So I'm going to take you back historically to show you how all these pieces fit together. A little more digging in this psalm today. 2 Samuel chapter 6 is on page 301 in the Pew Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 6, page 301. This is the story of when David brought the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God symbolized there, to Jerusalem. Okay? So uh, look down at, let's just start at verse 1. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Baal of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. See, there's that picture, God enthroned over the ark. Right? Now jump down a little bit and go to uh, verse 12. Here's an actual, so some things happen, and then there's this description of the actual ark coming in. Halfway through verse 12. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, that's Jerusalem, with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, they sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Wow. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. While he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets, the ultimate worship service. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from the window. And when she saw David, King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. So there's a problem we're not going to deal with, but there it was. Verse 17. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. An awesome, historic event that here in Psalm 132, they're still remembering. Remember when David brought the ark to Jerusalem, and now they're standing before that same ark saying, God, remember us too. We're with David. We're with David's descendants. You blessed us in the past. Bless us today. Reassure us that you're still with us. In fact, there's so much remembering that as kind of a basis for their reassurance that look in verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 132. Here, they actually imagine, verses 6 and 7 is almost like the Israelites are pretending that they're back with David. So it's kind of like a historical reenactment. It's sort of strange. But they say, we heard it in Ephrathah. We came upon it in the fields of Jaar. Came upon what? The ark. That's where it was before it came to Jerusalem. So now it's like they're imagining, we're going with David. They're, They're reliving it in their heads in this psalm. We're going back there. We're bringing the ark up with him. And they're saying, let's go to his dwelling place. Let's worship at his footstool. So it's kind of a historical reenactment. I was trying to think of an analogy today. The closest I could think of was, I don't know if this is lame or not, but 4th of July, we shoot off fireworks. 
We remember the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air. We, we try to reenact the Revolutionary War and the, the battles that were fought, and we stand in solidarity with those founding fathers, and we are Americans today, and we're asking God's blessing on us today as they did back then. So in the same way, these Israelites are remembering David bringing the ark to Jerusalem. In fact, kind of interesting, some scholars even hypothesize that, that Psalm 132 was read on like the anniversary of the ark coming to Jerusalem, that this was an anniversary thing they would do. I mean, we're not sure, but it's possible. And that they would all remember it, and they would reenact it. But what's the point? What's the big picture? They need God today. And they're remembering that God was with David and the Israelites in the past. And so they go back in their minds and they remember that and they, they say, God, remember David? We're, we're with him. Our heart's where his heart was. We, we want you here like David wanted you here. We're standing with David. We're, we're walking historically in solidarity with David. And so, God, it was great you were with David, but remember him and now remember us because we need reassurance that you're still with us. And so, verse 8, arise, O Lord. Again, come to your resting place, to your ark. Be with us. Verse 9, bless us. May your priests be clothed with righteousness and your people sing for joy. And then verse 10, rule over us for the sake of David, your servant. Don't reject your anointed one. Here's one of David's descendants right here. Keep ruling over us, God. We need you today. And I'd like to suggest that when you look at the psalm that way, even though it's in some ways kind of historical and, and out of reach and not part of our experience, and yet it's very much part of our experience because we as Christians continue to need reassurance from the Lord. We need Him, you know? We need the Lord to, to strengthen us and encourage us. Sometimes we as Christians feel very close to the Lord. Sometimes we have a strong sense that God is with us. But a lot of times we don't. Maybe we go through a very difficult trial. Or we go through an extended period of suffering. Or we go through an extended very difficult period of suffering. And, and even... The strongest Christian has a kind of breaking point for our faith. None of us has perfect faith yet. And, and just as they say, you know, like, you know, every, you know in, in uh, the CIA, like, everyone has a breaking point. We'll break you. But it's true. Like, every Christian, I feel like all of our faith has a kind of a breaking point this side of heaven. And, and we get near that breaking point, and we say, God, I, I don't know how much more I can take. Are you there? Are you still for me? Are you still ruling over me? Or maybe we fall into sin. Some of us, all of us have had those experiences of times we have backslidden, we've walked away from God, we've, we've fallen back into believing the lies of the world, we've gone back to the old life, and then we come out of it and we repent and we say, God, I need to get back on track, but are you still there? <laughs> have, have you left me a long time ago? I, I need reassurance, God. Are you still with me even though I've gone here? Lord, are, are, do you still want to do good to me? Are you still ruling over my life? Or maybe we just feel dry. Have you ever just kind of felt dry as a Christian? You don't even know why. It just seems like I, you know, I don't feel close to God. And so you keep persevering. But that sense of communion and fellowship, that, that, that awareness of God's presence and His hand in your life seems distant, and you're not really sure why. You're like, maybe I just need more sleep. I don't know if I need a vacation. Whatever. I'm not sure what it is. 
God, are you still there? Are you still with me? Do you still want to bless me? God, I need you. This is a psalm to pray when you feel that way. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. I would not be surprised at all, based on at least my own experience of the Christian life. Verses 8 through 10 are your verses. These are verses for you to pray, to remember not only that God's been with you in the past, but that God still is there, and, and we need to ask Him to come to us and to clothe us with righteousness and joy and to continue to rule over us through His King. But this is not only an individual psalm. Remember, this is actually a corporate psalm. I mean, it applies to us individually as Christians, but this psalm was originally prayed as a whole people of Israel. And so there's a sense in which we should take up this psalm as a whole church. We as a whole church need to continue to pray, God, be with our church. Let, let, let us, when we gather here for worship, not just go through the singing of songs and listening to sermons, but, you know, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but when I come to church with you, like one of the things I'm excited about is experiencing the presence of God in a way that is different than what I might experience in God just privately or when I'm out for a walk in nature. There's, there's an experience of the presence of God when God's people are together that's different and that's powerful. And, and so when I come together for worship, I'm, I'm, like, I'm expecting to meet with God and you as we all meet together. And so we need to pray as we come to church. You know, God, be with our church. Let your presence be known here. You know, if, if, if people come in maybe who don't know the Lord Jesus, maybe you're here this morning and that's where you're at, you're like, yeah, I'm not sure I'm convinced yet about Jesus. I mean, he was a good teacher, but I don't know if he's the son of God or if he's raised from the dead. Well, you know, one of the things I'm praying is that as you're here, you will be feeling, experiencing in some way, maybe that's even hard to put into words, the reality that Jesus Christ is literally alive. He's literally reigning over us. And I'm praying, I want you to know the presence of the Lord as well. And we still need God to bless our church today. We still need Him to clothe us with righteousness and joy. We, we need Him to keep growing us, and we need to, Him to keep ruling over us. You know, one of the mistakes churches make, especially if you've been in a church a long time, I, I've been in this church now, I've been a member of this church 20 years, and I've been the, the senior pastor of 17 years. I know I don't look that old. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, <clears throat> fighting the urge not to dye the gray. Uh, but anyway, I, you know, you're, you're in a church a long time, and one of the dangers when you're in a church in a long time is to start living in the past and remembering the good old days of the church, which actually weren't that good. They just seem better the further you get from them. Uh, but, you know, oh, the good old days. Oh, that's what it was good to be a South Shore Baptist. And yeah, there were good old days. I have fond memories of very specific things that God has done in this church that I can look back on and say, wow, God was working here, God was working there. But guess what? I'm in today. And so I need to look back at those days, but I can't live there. I need to say, all right, God, do it again. Oh, God, work among us again. You know, I want to believe that the best days for South Shore Baptist Church are still in the future if we will seek the Lord. And so we need as a church to keep doing that. I I would just encourage us, you know, hey, between now and September, September's kind of the kickoff of the year. I've always believed that the first of the year should be September 1st. Uh, Everything fires up and ramps up and gets going. 
I just encourage us between now and September as a church to pray Psalm 132, verses 8 to 10, especially for our congregation. Let's pray for our church that this year God would would be with us in powerful ways, that God would bless us spiritually, and that God would continue to rule over us through his king. And the great thing about our God is that he is the living God. Our God is the living God. He's not an idea. He's a living God. He's the living God. And he actually hears when we pray. Prayer is not just something we do that helps us sort out our feelings. There is a God in heaven who hears and answers prayer. And he's compassionate. He's abounding in love and mercy. And God just loves it when people turn to him. He's just just drawn to it because he's so glorified when we finally get to the end of our ropes and say, all right, God, I need you. And God's like, finally, I was waiting for that. And God comes. And in verses 11 to 18 of Psalm 132, we have the response of God. Now notice this. All right, so so we kind of took our time through verses 1 to 10. Now I hope you're going to see how verses 11 to 18 parallel verses 1 to 10, interestingly. So verses 1 to 5 is the oath of David to God, right? David swears an oath. So help me, I'm going to get your dwelling to Jerusalem. Well, God's response begins with an oath, but it was God's oath to David. Look at verses 11 and 12. Here's the first thing God says. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your descendants I will place on your throne If you sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. God made an oath to David. Now, when did God make that oath to David? It was right after he brought the ark to Jerusalem. This is so cool. Put a bookmark here. Go back to 2 Samuel 7 now, page 301. This is the stuff that Bible nerds get geeked up about. So I'm told. Page 301, 2 Samuel 7. So 2 Samuel 6, David makes good on his oath to bring the ark to Jerusalem. 2 Samuel 7, God takes an oath to David. And this is a famous passage known as the Davidic Covenant, 2 Samuel 7. Look, just look at verses 11 through 16. David, or God makes this oath. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, David, when you die, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. How's that for an oath, David? You know, the Israelites are going... Hey, remember David? He swore an oath, right? So remember us, because remember David's oath? And God's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Remember my oath? Like, all, God's going to out-oath you. 
You want to, how about this? I'm going to raise up a throne for David and a descendant for King David who will reign forever. Like, ooh, that's a big one. Wow. So God is out oathing their oath. Right? All right, let's go back to Psalm 132. So, so Psalm 132 is recalling both David's oath, but then God's greater oath that God is going to give a descendant someday to David whose throne will last forever. And then look at Psalm 132, verse 13. So this is kind of the parallel to verses 6 and 7. In verses 6 and 7, the Israelites say, let's, let's go to those fields and bring the ark back. And here's God says where he's going, verse 13. The Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. And then we come to the three prayers. So do you remember the three prayers of Psalm 132, verses 8 to 10? The first prayer was, be with us, come to your resting place. Well, in verse 14, God answers, this is my resting place forever and ever. I will sit enthroned for I have desired it. What was the second prayer? Bless your people. Let let your priests be clothed with righteousness and your people be filled with joy. Well, he answers that in verses 15 and 16 with even more of an answer. Again, he overwhelms them with his answer. I will bless you with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. I will clothe your priests with salvation, and her saints ever will sing for joy. And then what was the last prayer in verse 10? Don't reject your king. And God, verses 17 and 18, is like, look what I'm going to do. I will make a horn grow for David. I will set a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, and the crown on his head will be resplendent. Don't reject him. I'm going to do so much more than that. I'm going to raise up a lamp for David. And that even has like a future kind of component to it. So, So it's even more than saying I'm going to bless the current king. But again, there's going to be a Messiah coming, a great king, and his crown will be resplendent. So all of the things Israel prays, God answers. One by one, he just follows their order of prayer and and verses 11 to 18 match verses 1 through 10, right? But they not only match it, they surpass it. That's what's so cool. God, remember? Remember David's oath? Yeah, that's cool. Remember my oath. God, God, you know, will you you bless bless the people? Yeah, I'll bless them and I'll bless the poor. And and his, his promises to bless the people are even greater than what they ask. God, don't reject the king here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm also going to raise up a king someday. And so they're kind of whimpering this little, please reassure us. And God is thundering, don't worry. I'm your God. Whatever you ask for, I can overwhelm you with my grace. I'm so much greater than you know. I have so much more to bless my people with. If you just turn to me with that mustard seed of faith, the avalanche of God's yes comes to them. This is our great and gracious God. So we need to ask boldly. We need to ask confidently. Because when God answers, it's deafening. It's overwhelming. His love and His grace are so great. And now I want to follow that little thread from verse 17 where he says, Here I will make a horn grow for David. A horn is a symbol of strength and uh, like a ruler is often symbolized by a horn. I'm going to give David a ruler. I'll set up a lamp for my anointed one. 
I'll clothe his enemies with shame. Who is this king that's coming? Well, we turn to the New Testament, to the book of Acts chapter 2. And I want to show you how the New Testament apostles understood this promise. It's on page 1079. So not only does God overwhelm them with His answer in verses 11 to 18, but as we turn to the pages of the New Testament, the answer is even greater. The New Testament even overwhelms verses 11 to 18, which were overwhelming the request of verses 1 to 10. As God continues to unfold His plan, it's so magnificent. So Acts chapter 2, verse 29, it's on page 1079. Let me just give you the quick context. We're now in the New Testament. Jesus has now come. Jesus has been crucified, buried, raised, gone back to the Father. He's in heaven. It's about a thousand years after King David. And now the the, the, the Christians, the followers of Jesus, are praying, and the Holy Spirit comes on them. It's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's poured out, and people are going, what in the world is happening? And and Peter, the apostle Peter, stands up and says, I'm going to tell you what's happening. The Holy Spirit came. And guess what else? Jesus is the Lord in heaven. And he gave us the Holy Spirit. And, and look at verse 29. He says, brothers, I can tell you, this is Peter telling the crowds, brothers, I can tell you confidently the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath. What oath? Second Samuel 7, repeated in Psalm 132. God, God promised on oath he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, the Messiah, that he would not be abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. We're all witnesses to the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And here's the the summary of the whole talk. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is both Lord and Messiah, anointed one. That Jesus is the one that David foresaw. That Jesus is the one that Psalm 132 promised. That he's come and God has now given David an everlasting throne by giving him an everlasting king. Jesus who will never die. Jesus who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's awesome. God's answer is even greater than even what Psalm 132 perhaps imagined. And so the people are like, uh, verse... (laughs) 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Okay, what do we do with all this? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so our response should be to come to God like the people and, and say, Lord, we repent. We're sorry that we've been living for ourselves. We're sorry we've been not living for your glory. Lord, you know, can you draw near to us? 
Can you bless us? Can you forgive us? And look at the promises. You have the king is there, Jesus. You have the blessing of God, forgiveness of sins. God will clothe you with righteousness and salvation. He'll forgive your sins. And the presence of God, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus, you'll have the Holy Spirit in you. In in other words, you'll be the new temple. The Spirit will come to the temple, which is now us. It's not a building. And so all of those promises in Psalm 132, they're just coming true now with the coming of Christ, and, except they're so much bigger and better and more amazing. And of course, we even look forward to even bigger and bigger and better fulfillments. When Jesus comes back, then the king will be on earth. When Jesus comes back, then the presence of God will be with us, even in ways that would blow us away today. When, we, when he comes back, then the greatest blessings of God will come. And so we're even looking for another level of amplification of Psalm 132. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, it's epic. It's it's thunderous, God's answer to us. And we look forward to that, even as people who look forward, who look back on Christ and say, wow, God's done so much more than they could have even imagined. And now God is going to do so much more than we can't even imagine when Christ returns. And so... Verse 40 of Acts 2, with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. The first megachurch is born. Wow. Have you accepted that message of Christ? Have you put your faith in Him? Do you know that He really is the King of kings and Lord of lords? Do you know that you can be forgiven for all of your sins? Did you know there's such a thing as the Holy Spirit who can live inside of you? What must I do? Repent and believe in Jesus. That's the answer. And I love that last line. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Lord, if you want to add 3,000 a day, we are open. But you know what? I'd take 30. You know what? I'd take one. I'd take one. I wonder if God would add one to our number that day, one heart here that he's touching. Let's pray about that. Would you join me in prayer? Let's, let's just pray silently. I'm, I'm just going to not pray. I'm going to let you guys pray silently. And I would invite you, first of all, to pray for yourself, to pray for God to reassure you of his presence and his blessing. Call out to God. Ask him to reassure you again. Ask him to draw close to you. And if you've never put your faith in Christ, call out to Jesus and put your faith in him. And now would you pray for this church? Would you pray for South Shore Baptist that the presence, the blessing, and the reign of God would be over us? Pray that numbers would be added.
finally, would you think of one other church you know, maybe one near us, maybe another one around the world, around the country? Would you pray the same thing for that church? Oh, Father, we know that you have done great things in the past. Renew them in our day. Lord, may your spirit come again. Lord, we pray for Pentecost today. We pray for a great visitation of your spirit's power today. God, we have loved ones that we want so desperately to know Jesus. Lord, would you add them today? God, we need you to draw near to us. We, we have a weak faith. Reassure us, Lord. Speak to us. God, I pray for the souls that are here that are just barely holding on to a thread of faith. Oh, Lord, would you snatch them up and draw them close to you? Let them know of your grace and mercy, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.